in my own practice, I found it really helpful to explore patterns or habits of mind that happened to me over and over again. This exploration of a pattern gives us a lot of information about our minds. It's as if it is not just as if, it is that each time that pattern happens to us, if we can bring mindfulness to it, it's like we get a different perspective on that pattern. We may see different ways that it comes into being, different ways that it arises, different aspects of our mind that hold it into place, that keep the pattern going, and different ways that it can fall apart. So each time we see a pattern, we get a little bit more information about how our minds work around that pattern or habit. We all have our own patterns and habits. Some of us will have patterns of anger. Some of us will have patterns of greed, patterns of loneliness or self-hatred. And there's one pattern, at least one here, that we all share. And that is a pattern of the wandering mind. So we experience this pattern a lot in our practice. And in experiencing it, it's not something we often think of exploring so much in and of itself as a pattern, a phenomenon that might be interesting to watch or observe or get to know. We typically think of it as something that is wrong with our meditation, that we need to get back to being present, get back to the work of being present. So I'd like to explore tonight with you ways that I have explored the wandering mind, explored this pattern of the wandering mind, some of the ways that it's helpful for us, some of the reasons it's helpful for us to to explore this, what we can learn about ourselves, our minds, and how we can engage with this. I find it actually quite an interesting phenomenon. It happens in so many different ways. The wandering mind itself is not just one kind of phenomenon, actually. There's so many different ways that it happens. We usually use this term for, to, for an experience where we kind of lose touch with the present moment experience. We often use the, the phrase, the mind wanders out of the present moment. It may happen, this wandering out of the present moment may happen just as a kind of a drifting off. This, is, this happens particularly as the retreat moves on. At this point in the retreat, there's more of this particular kind of wandering where there's just a little bit of low energy and the mind is not quite connected with experience. And the mind just kind of drifts off 
some thought has come up into our mind and the mind just kind of drifts off into thinking about that. And there's not particularly a charge or any kind of emotional response to that. It's just a drifting. It may not even be thinking about things that you know about or care about. Some of you have seen thoughts like that. You know, you find yourself thinking about people you don't know. They're talking about things you don't care about. Why does the mind do this? (laughs) This is kind of a low-energy phenomenon. It can manifest, too, as daydreaming. You know, just images, almost like you're dreaming awake. Or it might even happen as kind of almost a spacing out. Not so much actively thinking, but that the the mind has kind of lost touch with the present moment. And it's just in some kind of spaced out state without much thinking. That also can be a kind of a wandering. And we'll wake up into this space of like, wow, I was just kind of zoned out there, but you know, there wasn't a lot of thought happening. And then there are also the familiar kinds of wanderings where it's much more... It's, it's not so much a wander out of the present moment, it's more like a charge out of the present moment. You know, we, we leap onto a thought or an emotion comes up and there's a lot of charge. Maybe call this, a, you know, a mind storm. You know, it's kind of driven by, by greed or aversion or delusion. Some kind of strong emotion fueling the thoughts. Or there might be a kind of, not so much an emotional charge out of the present moment, but just a kind of a reflection. We get caught by our reflections. We get caught by some thought of the past or some thought of the future, or even some thought of the present moment, you know, describing the present moment, what is happening right now. So the general quality of the wandering mind, all these different kinds of wanderings, one thing they kind of have in common is it's basically a state of low mindfulness or non-mindfulness. And that's actually what's going on in this experience. The term wandering mind is... uh, perhaps a little bit not quite the best description because that's not what's actually happening. The mind actually doesn't wander anywhere. What what happens is that mindfulness gets disappears, gets lost, and in that space the mind does other things. And that's what we call the wandering. Basically the non-arising of mindfulness or the infrequent arising of mindfulness. In this space of wandering mind, when the mind is wandered off, when there's very little mindfulness or no mindfulness, not much we can do about it. We can't make ourselves come out of that wandering mind. 
That is, we can't make mindfulness re-arise as an act of will when there is no mindfulness. There's one teaching that the mindfulness is the proximate cause of mindfulness. So how does that work? (laughs) Partly because mindfulness arises spontaneously from time to time. And that's just what happens when we come out of a wandering mind. Mindfulness arises spontaneously. When mindfulness has arisen, then we can connect with it and cultivate it actively. So when mindfulness re-arises, we can respond. So we can notice All of you are aware that we can notice what happens in the moment when mindfulness returns. We can be aware of what the mind is waking up into. We've said this a lot, that this is a key actually to our practice, this moment of coming into mindfulness after having been lost in thought. And our relationship to that moment is, is important to not have a judgmental relationship, but just to recognize in that moment, mindfulness has returned and what's happening? What is mindfulness aware of as it returns into being? So that's, that's, that's kind of one of the ways that we, that we commonly recognize the fact of the wandering mind. There's another way that we, we wake up from that wandering. I, at least I've seen this at times, particularly when I'm on a longer retreat like this one. This kind of waking up happens to me a little more. And that is that um, the mind wanders back into the present moment. Kind of like it, you're, you're, you're present and then the mind wanders out of the present moment and then it wanders back. You know, you've been paying attention to the breathing and then the mind wanders off, it thinks about something, it wanders back, it connects with the breathing and then you recognize that you're breathing and then there's a recognition or a memory. Wait a minute, I was thinking a minute ago, you know, but I didn't, I didn't see the mind come back into that. I just remember coming back into this breath. It kind of somehow seems to, sometimes it can wander, wander back behind our backs somehow. We just find ourselves back and paying attention to the breathing. But we recall that the mind had wandered. So this is interesting to notice if you can recognize that. If you notice that, uh, the thing to recognize or to, to do with that is basically you're noticing remembering. You're remembering that the mind wandered. That's what the mind is doing in that moment when it recognizes that it's remembering. So there's a lot of things that we can understand about our minds by observing this pattern of the wandering mind. Kind of most obvious thing that we can learn or understand about ourselves is some of our personal patterns. How and why how we get caught, what we get caught on, the kinds of themes that our mind habitually gets hooked to through 
recognizing over and over again the moment of waking up and kind of acknowledging what we're waking up into, we can begin to, to see or get familiar with some, some themes, let's say. I think it's Jack Cornfield that talks about, you know, the top 10 thought patterns that we have, you know, that we, we all have our favorite kinds of ways that our mind gets hooked into thought. So this is, a th- this is part of this exploration is to begin to see how does our mind get hooked? What does it get hooked to? So this is kind of learning about our personal patterns. This is one of the things that we can learn by exploring this pattern of the wandering mind. Another thing that we can begin to explore or begin to learn with the wandering mind is that our mind is out of control. We sit down to meditate and our plan, our intention is to be present. And we find that our mind wanders. So what, what, why does that happen even? I mean, if we're sitting down with the intention for presence, what is it that phew, sweeps us off? Habits sweep us away. Causes and conditions sweep us away. So we have very little control over the fact that our minds wander. There's, there's a little bit of there's, there's a little bit of control in the wandering itself. We, there's, there's a little bit of way that we can begin to explore how our minds wander out of the present moment and connect to that losing touch. And I'll talk about that more in just a moment. So it's a tiny little bit of control there. It's, uh, it's not that we have control. It is that the processes of mind have choice. The processes of mind have choice about whether Mindfulness will continue or the mindfulness will let go and we get lost. There's a tiny little bit of choice that the mind has in that place. But once the mind is lost, we have no control over how long the mind wanders or when we'll come back. We don't have any control over when mindfulness will re-arise. And instead of thinking of this as a problem, I find it interesting to recognize that this is actually pointing to a very deep truth. That out of control nature of our minds. The Buddha talked about this out of control nature of the mind as being a pointing to the teaching on anatta, on not-self. In the second discourse that the Buddha gave, the one that Guy referred to the other night, the anatta lakana sutta, he mentioned this quality or aspect of being out of control with respect to the five aggregates. He said, consciousness, Perception, feeling, volitional formations, form, are not self. And I'm going to say this uh, teaching 
with, from the perspective of consciousness, because this is really the exploration I find around the wandering mind is an exploration of, of consciousness. Consciousness is not self. If consciousness were the self, it would not lead itself to dis-ease. It would be possible to say with regard to consciousness, let my consciousness be thus. Let my consciousness not be thus. But precisely because consciousness is not self, it lends itself to dis-ease. It is not possible to say, let my consciousness be thus. So how many of you would, if you could, say, let my consciousness be thus? (laughs) We can't do it. It doesn't work that way. So we usually see our experience in terms of this sense of self, the sense of I, me, mine, in subtle and obvious ways. Because we have this belief, and it's there, it's there until you're fully enlightened, this feeling of I am the sense of I am is said to be one of the last things to go when, when one is fully enlightened. So it will be with us for a while. But the belief, the view of self it actually is something that's a little uh, more gross. The the sense I am is a much is a subtle experience, but this this belief in identity, the identity view, the sakaya ditti that Carol was talking about the other day, this belief, we also tend to operate a lot from this belief, and because it's it, because we have this belief, it operates kind of under the surface for us. It filters our perception in much the way that we've talked about states of mind filtering our experience. You know, if we have a state of anger coming up, then we tend to see things through that filter of anger. Because we have this belief of self, we tend to filter things through that belief. This is one of the key delusions in our minds, is this belief in self, the Sakaya Ditti. And because it's there, we tend to experience the world in ways that confirm that belief. So we notice things that confirm this view, this, this self-view. We don't particularly notice things that don't confirm it. Or if we notice things that don't confirm it, we just don't connect the dots that this thing doesn't confirm that belief in self. So it's very hard for us to take in evidence for not-self. And I'd like to suggest that the wandering mind is just such a piece of evidence. We see this over and over and over, but we don't really connect the dots and, and see how this is a pointing to not-self. Another aspect of this exploration of the wandering mind that is related to 
an exploration of not-self. In exploring our experience, the experience of the wandering mind, and any experience that we have, this is not um, about just the wandering mind, we begin to see the cause and effect nature of our experience. Seeing that cause and effect nature of our experience begins to undermine our... Again, that's more evidence for not-self. It begins to undermine our, uh, our belief in our sense of self because we see that things are just unfolding as causes and conditions. Cause and effect, cause and effects. This process of being in flux. So the Buddha also pointed to this recognition of cause and effect as being a an avenue to explore that will help us to understand this teaching. In one teaching, he was talking about this cause and effect nature of our experience to one of his monks. And this monk was asking him about these experiences. And so this is in the middle of this dialogue. I'm just going to kind of jump into the middle of the dialogue. The Buddha is saying, with the six sense bases as condition, contact comes to be. So with the six sense bases, our sight, sound, our, 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 our eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, our skin, and the mind, with these six sense bases as condition, there's contact. It, it meets. There, there's something that meets our senses. So with these six sense bases as condition, contact comes to be. With contact as condition, feeling comes to be. And the the monk that he's talking to jumps in here and says, Venerable Sir, who feels? The Buddha says, Not a valid question. I do not say one feels. If I should say one feels, in that case, this would be a valid question. But I do not speak thus. If one should ask me, Venerable Sir, with what as a condition does feeling come to be? This would be a valid question. To this the valid answer is, with contact as condition, feeling comes to be. With feeling as condition, craving comes to be. And this monk, not quite getting it, then says, Venerable Sir, who craves? So we also have this sense. It's, it's not, you know, it's, it's not an uncommon experience to have the sense of who is it that feels, who is it that craves. And the Buddha points us to looking at experience through this cause and effect process that unfolds as a way to begin to understand there isn't necessarily one who feels. It's a process that feels. Feeling comes to be on the basis of contact. So through this exploration of the wandering mind, we can see, we begin to see some of the cause and effect and nature of our experience. And I'll I'll talk about this in just a, a few moments. So we, through exploring the wandering mind, can start to see something about our minds, our own personal 
um, processes, our own personal, the personal ways we get caught, our patterns, our habits. We get to see, we can explore the out-of-control nature of our mind, the cause-and-effect nature of experience. And we can also begin to understand awareness itself, mindfulness itself, through exploring the wandering mind. We can begin to recognize how it feels to be aware, to be mindful. What are some of the qualities of the mind that is aware, the mind that is mindful? And understanding this process, this as a process. So I'd like to talk about how to explore this. What are ways to look at this? How things, I'd like to talk a little bit about how I've done this in my own practice. So the easiest place to begin this exploration, at least in my own experience, is in the moment when we wake up, the moment when we remember about mindfulness. And as I said a little earlier, developing a skillful relationship with this moment is key for us. And I think most of you, you know, all of you are reporting a much less judgmental um, relationship with that moment. That over the course of the retreat, it tends to be much uh, easier to wake up and to recognize, oh, here I am again, and not have it be such a big deal. It's just like, oh yeah, here I am, I'm back, here's what's happening. So the exploration of this moment of the mindfulness re-arising, in my own practice, this has been a key. Once the, the judgment has fallen away, I've been able to, to get interested in this actual re-arising of mindfulness, taking an interest in that moment of mindfulness coming back. What is it about? How does it feel? One of the most interesting things about it that I find is that since it is a spontaneous re-arising of mindfulness, it's effortless, pure mindfulness, spontaneous mindfulness. Connecting with that moment of mindfulness returning, it's not something you have to do. It's, it's completely effortless in that moment. So it's a pointer. That moment of waking up is a pointer to a kind of ease that can happen with mindfulness. Now, it's not, it's not, um, it doesn't last for long, that ease. We do tend to have to, you know, pick up on that moment and then prompt a little bit. This moment of arising mindfulness, out of spontaneous moment of arising mindfulness, we could call unprompted mindfulness. It just happens. Causes and conditions have come together to make it happen. And then we can connect with that moment and continue to cultivate the continuity of the mindfulness. But one thing that's interesting to play with, I find interesting to play with in that moment, is kind of, so there's been a re-arising of that mindfulness. You know, we can kind of get a sense of that ease of mindfulness and get a sense of how long it will last. There's an analogy that I like to use about this prompted and unprompted mindfulness or about this, you know, getting familiar with this feeling of mindfulness 
coming back. And it's, um, it's the analogy of using a, one of the scooters, those little scooters that those kids use, those you know, little thin things that you put your foot on and you have to tap on the ground to get your momentum up. Not a motorized scooter, but you know, one that you actually have to use your foot with. So, you know, in the um, in in working with the scooter, you know, you have to tap on the ground quite a few times initially to get the scooter going, and then after a while, once the scooter is going, you can kind of get a sense for you know you don't have to tap as frequently. You get a sense of the balance of the momentum of the scooter, and you, you notice when it gets a little wobbly and you need to put your foot down again. We can have a similar kind of feeling about this quality of mindfulness, that we can get familiar with the feeling of mindfulness itself and kind of get a sense of when we need to reconnect, re-engage, remind ourselves again to be mindful. So in this moment of waking up, you know, it's kind of like we, we can get a sense of like riding that wave of that easy mindfulness, that effortless mindfulness. And over time we get a sense of, and when do we need to remind ourselves again? We don't necessarily have to have the feeling of jumping on that moment and saying, oh, mindfulness, oh, i got to be mindful, and, and trying to somehow hold it and grab it. Can you get, we can begin to get a sense of how much momentum the, the moments of mindfulness have. So in working with this moment of waking up, not only just the recognition of the mindfulness and the kind of effortless quality that that has, it's helpful to notice what we wake up into. I mean, this is this is one of the main instructions we give about waking up into the wandering mind. You know, mindfulness has re-arisen. What is it aware of in that moment? Often it's thought, planning, thinking, remembering, judging, arguing, describing, fantasizing, whatever it is, just recognize it. Awareness has re-arisen, mindfulness has re-arisen. Just notice what mindfulness has become aware of in its re-arising. One thing in terms of working with thought um, can be helpful to recognize or connect not, not just to kind of the kind of thinking that's happened, you know, the planning, the judging, the remembering, but the way in which thinking is happening in your mind. This connects to the process of thought, how thoughts happen in your mind. You might notice them as, as if you're speaking to yourself or as if somebody else is speaking to you. you know, whose voice is it? Your mother's voice or your partner's voice? Or it might be images. So noticing how thinking is happening for you in that moment of waking up. Again, what is it that you've woken up into? If the um, thinking is pretty strong, has a kind of a charge to it, Really helpful, again, I think we've said this before, noticing the emotion that's underlying it. 
So we're actually waking up not only into the thinking, but also into a whole complex of experience that has kind of happened as a result of the thinking. Thoughts are pretty powerful. When we think certain thoughts, it tends to impact us. If we're thinking about an argument that we had with a friend, it can bring up anger for us in the moment. And so in the waking up, is there emotion? Noticing the emotion. Noticing the feeling tone when we wake up. This has actually been a really interesting and helpful exploration for me. If there's been some kind of a mind storm, some kind of a reactivity, you may notice unpleasant experience. If there's been a fantasy, you may notice pleasant experience. But one of the ways that I found this exploration of feeling tone to be really helpful for me is that when the mind kind of just drifts out of the present moment, that kind of drifting out that I talked about at the beginning, where there's just kind of a little bit of low energy, the mind moves into kind of just a a kind of a drifty space. In my experience, at least, that's a pretty pleasant experience. And to connect with the pleasantness of that drifty quality when you wake up gives a little bit of energy to, to the system. And it, it, it's, it's just a, a kind of very organic way to connect with that drifting quality of mind. Because there's not much, often not much even real content that we connect with. It's just drifting. But the feeling tone has act, is actually part of what may be holding us in the drifting. That the mind has gotten caught in that pleasantness and it's not been noticed. So if we can notice that pleasant quality, we're back. We're connecting with what's actually happening. So this has been a really helpful exploration for me, is noticing the feeling tone when I wake up. At one point in my practice, I began to get really interested in, can I notice just when the mindfulness returns? I kind of just seated myself with this question, what's the earliest I can be aware of the mindfulness coming back? This exploration was um, really helpful, actually, in cutting the whole judging thing, because what typically happens when we um, you know, wake up into thinking is that we judge ourselves for thinking and then we've lost the recognition of that moment of mindfulness. If we're judging ourselves for thinking, there's been some moments of mindfulness to actually recognize that we've been thinking. So in taking the interest to, what is it? How early can I notice the waking up? How early can I notice mindfulness re-arising? For me, this exploration really cut into this pattern of judging. And initially, as I explored this, there seemed to be kind of a lag between when the mindfulness came up and when the mindfulness actually noticed that the mindfulness came up. 
There's kind of this, you know, the mind kind of woke up. It's kind of like coming out of the mud. You know, there's a little bit of awareness and then the mind sinks back into the mud. And then there's a little bit of awareness and the mind sinks back into the thoughts. And a little bit of awareness and then the mind sinks back. And at some point, the awareness gets strong enough to recognize, oh, I'm mindful, I'm back. So it doesn't necessarily happen, at least initially in my exploration of it. It wasn't that I was noticing, ooh, mindfulness re-arising, just the spontaneous mindfulness re-arising. It was much kind of hazier than that. But this exploration began to kind of attune me to this moment of mindfulness re-arising. And just this exploration of how soon can I notice it, began to, it seemed to kind of make me aware of the mindfulness earlier in the process to the point where then I did begin to see, oh, mindfulness re-arising. Kind of, it's almost like, you know, being born in that moment. Suddenly, poof, I'm back. In the midst of reaching up for the shampoo bottle and poof, I'm back, I'm reaching for the shampoo bottle. It's kind of a, a miracle in a way that mindfulness re-arises and that we can be there for it re-arising. So taking an interest in that moment, what does it feel like to be aware now? And this was also a key exploration for me. What is the difference between the feeling of being aware now and the feeling of having been lost a few minutes ago or a few moments ago? We can't really know be mindful of the feeling of being lost in the lostness. But in the waking up, in the moment when we come back into mindfulness, there's like a lingering memory of what that feeling being lost was like. And so in that experience, there's a contrast between what it feels like to be mindful and what it felt like to be lost. So this exploration, for me at least, really began to point to me, point out to me the qualities of mindfulness, qualities of a mind that is aware and mindful. When I first started sitting, teachers would say, you know, there'd be instructions at the, in the morning sitting, and often teachers would say something like, feel a sense of presence, Connect with a sense of presence in your experience. I would have no idea what they were talking about. I just had no clue what that meant to connect with a sense of presence. This exploration of this moment of remembering is what began to educate me in what it means to be present. The feeling of mindfulness It's a subtle feeling, but it's actually pretty clear and apparent once you begin to connect with it and pay attention to its qualities. And I found that contrast between the lost, the moment of lost and the moment of waking up was a really good place to check into those qualities, a quality of clarity, of brightness, transparency. So mindfulness practice, meditation practice, gives us a lot of opportunity to explore this. Because we get lost a lot. And this moment of returning happens a lot. 
hundreds of times, if not thousands of times through the day, you've got an opportunity to recognize mindfulness coming back. Familiarity with this feeling of mindfulness coming back seems to begin to point out to us when mindfulness comes back. This mindfulness actually comes back a lot through our day. But we don't actually recognize these moments of the, the spontaneous re-arising of mindfulness that happen all through our day. Happens in daily life, happens here on retreat. Spontaneous re-arising of mindfulness where we, we notice the watermelon at the end of the, the uh, table and, um, and then we leap on it and start planning and thinking about how am I going to get to that watermelon to make sure nobody else, it's not all gone by the time I get there. <laughs> So we we become aware of something, but we aren't aware of the awareness of it. Instead, we leap onto the thing that we've noticed and take action or plan around it. So this beginning to familiarize yourself with this feeling of the waking up will begin to point out these moments of mindfulness to you. This has been a huge gift for my practice, both in retreat and in daily life. These spontaneous moments of mindfulness happen so much. And as we get familiar with them, they point themselves out to us, and we get the benefit of these small moments, small moments of completely effortless mindfulness that happen all the time. So I've talked quite a bit about noticing the returning into the wandering, from the wandering into the present, back into the present moment. We can also begin to explore the other side of the equation. You know, there's the, the getting lost and the coming back, and there's this gray area in the middle where may not be much we can learn there. Sometimes there is. There sometimes is a foggy area in the middle where there's a little bit of mindfulness. We may be very stuck to thoughts, and there may be a little bit of mindfulness where we can kind of feel the sense of what it's like to be caught by that thought. Not a lot, again, there's not a lot of control we have in that situation until the mindfulness kind of accumulates and begins to, to be able to clearly recognize what's happening. Doubt seems to be this way a lot, that we get caught in the the story. And at some point, it's like, oh yeah, this is doubt, right, oh right. So there is that kind of middle area where we can kind of see where we're lost. But mostly the exploration I am working with here is either sides of that wandering, the coming back into awareness and the getting lost. Early on in practice, we may think that that's not possible to notice where our minds move out of mindfulness into getting lost. But it actually is something that we can begin to recognize how our mind moves out of the present moment. What is the process by which this happens? I'd like to explore a couple of different ways this happens. One is... And this exploration, just to kind of point back to what I was talking about earlier, about exploring cause and effect, this exploration of how the mind wanders really begins to educate us on the cause and effect nature of our minds. 
So one of the key ways that our mind tends to wander is from a sense perception. We recognize something and we don't really, we're not clearly mindful that we have recognized it. So there's awareness flowing in the present moment and then there's some perception of something. Sitting in the meditation hall and we hear footsteps. There's the perception of footsteps. So there's that perception that's happened. When it's not clearly noticed, a process will tend to unfold. From that recognizing footsteps, we'll tend to start thinking about footsteps. Somebody's coming into the meditation hall. It's the middle of the sitting. So thinking has started. And then the next step of the process that the Buddha talks about here is that it's not simple thinking. It moves into just full-blown mental proliferation. Papancha is the term the Buddha uses for this. They're not supposed to be coming into the meditation hall in the middle of the sitting. There are rules about this. I'd better write a note to somebody. I mean, we, we really need to keep the, the meditation hall quiet. I mean, after all, we're, we're doing all these things to make sure the meditation hall is quiet. And here's somebody walking into the hall. We go off. We just get lost. So at any place during this part of the process, we can be aware. But we tend to get caught. We tend to get caught by something. The steps, the footsteps, the thought that it's somebody walking into the meditation hall, that may be what catches us. So we can watch this process happening. This is a cause and effect process. There's sound. There's the perception of the sound. Thinking tends to arise very closely after perception. And from that follows this mental proliferation. So we can watch this process, kind of get familiar with this process of cause and effect. Now, we can't necessarily uh, see the whole thing. But we can notice where we're waking up in this process. And knowing, partly I think, knowing how this process works can begin to um, help us with seeing how our minds wander. What I think happens one of the things I think happens to us is that, you know, we're, we're, we're paying attention to experience and we kind of have a little bit of an agenda, in a sense, about what we're paying attention to. And we're paying attention to our body sensations and we're connecting very clearly with our body sensations. And then we hear the sound. And our attention, our awareness has connected with the sound and recognized it as footsteps, but there hasn't been a clear mindfulness of that partly because of this agenda for staying with body sensations. So in the the practice here, what we begin to notice is that when our minds kind of begin to lose touch with our object of meditation, what we're noticing, there can be a little bit of a sense of, oh, the attention has moved. It's now noticing sound. And we can... If we saw that, if we just saw that the attention had moved to sound, then it would just be hearing. And it wouldn't lead to the getting lost in thought, necessarily. Now, it might. Sometimes we have such strong opinions about things that the opinions kind of 
come in and take over and the opinion about people shouldn't be coming into the hall at certain times. But we can watch this process, see how the mind wanders out of the present moment. Another exploration, not only from sense perception, from the recognition of sound or sight or smell or taste, but also from feeling tone. We can wander out of the pleasant moment from feeling tone. For example, breath. The breath feels very comfortable. There's a lot of pleasantness. We're paying attention to the breath. We're paying attention to the sensations of the breath. And the breath has become so pleasant and so comfortable that we kind of drift out of the present moment into the pleasantness. Not necessarily thinking, but also not terribly mindful of the fact that what is happening is that pleasantness is happening. We get lost in the pleasantness. So we don't clearly notice that feeling and we drift off and then perhaps, you know, one pattern that I've seen in my own mind, you know, oh yeah, this feels really good. Yeah, you know, it's like, oh, I should do more of these retreats. I would often kind of notice the flavor of what was going on based on whether I was planning my next retreat or avoiding my next retreat. <laughs> we can also drift out of the present moment in, in response to neutral, neutral experience. We don't often notice when neutral is happening. It's something that we don't connect with. So again, this is Part of the key to the mind wandering out is when we don't notice something is happening. So we don't clearly connect with something. So beginning to notice the feeling tone, noticing that neutral is happening. One of the patterns I saw happen many times when my mind was in a place of neutral was kind of a sense of leaning into that neutral, kind of expecting or waiting for something to happen. And when nothing happened, I was a failure. So I saw that my mind from nothing, from nothing at all, from just a place of neutral experience, could launch into this very familiar pattern of I'm a failure, I'm no good. Neutral, I think, Noticing this place of neutral is a really interesting place to watch familiar habits begin. When the mind is in a space of neutral and is not particularly aware of it, familiar habits and patterns are very likely to arise. For me, I'm a failure. So we can begin to notice the moment that the mind begins to kind of let go a little bit of what it's paying attention to. You're paying attention to the breath, for instance. There's the the awareness of the experience of the breath. And we can, you know, we're connected to the breath. If we have a very strong agenda about that, we may not quite notice that the attention is connected to the breath, but just not quite as attentive. So I began to notice this on one retreat. I was doing a lot of breath meditation and, and I began noticing that I could feel the, the attention just losing touch a little bit with the breath. When I noticed that, I'd be like, oh, okay, I can come back. Come back to the breath. 
And I'd noticed that the attention lost touch a little bit with the experience of breathing. I, oh, come back to the breath. At some point after noticing that several times, that kind of the mind letting go of the object of the breathing, I recognized, oh, well, I'm mindful. Why don't I see what the mind is doing? Why don't I just see where the mind wants to go? And the, you know, the attention kind of, or the awareness opened up into a new space, a very broad, spacious awareness, a kind of a space that I'd not been in before. And it was a kind of a, a, allowed a deepening of the practice by kind of allowing the mind, being mindful of essentially what the mind is already doing. The mind let go of the breath. What is it doing here? It was almost as if the holding to the breath was not allowing the mind to settle more deeply in that case. So allowing the mindfulness to stay connected with the awareness. Where does it want, what is it, what does it want to pay attention to? So there's so many different reasons why the mind wanders. The most common, most obvious are, of course, you know, obvious defilements of greed, aversion, delusion, caught in our patterns, caught in our memories come up and we have recollections and emotions arise out of that and we get caught. Very familiar. Reflecting on the past, thinking about the past, thinking about the future, thinking about the present. All of these are some very obvious and familiar reasons why the mind wanders. Some other reasons why the mind starts to wander. You know, at this point in retreat, at least one thing I've seen is that there seem to be periods of time where things kind of stabilize and there's a, a, a feeling of the settledness that you get familiar with. And then either it deepens and settles or else suddenly it's like, whoa, the mind is wandering all over the place and what's going on? It was so settled yesterday. So in my exploration, I've seen several different things that lead to this phenomenon of the mind being relatively settled and then suddenly it's like an explosion of wandering mind. One thing that happens is as as the mind starts to relax, lets go of kind of the habitual structures that we are familiar with, kind of like the the, the surface layers of the mind start to let go. And we settle into a, a kind of a, perhaps an ease in that space. And what can happen in that space is that there's been a relaxation of kind of holding ourselves together with familiar structures of personality. And when those familiar structures fall away, sometimes things that are old and Um, old patterns, old deep habits, deep thoughts, deep feelings can come to the surface because they're not being held in. So we're, you know, we can open into essentially a new space. And it may be that the very settling is what's allowing this new unsettledness to come up. 
So it's not necessarily like you've gone backwards. It's a deeper moving into deeper levels of holding, deeper levels of feelings and patterns that will need to surface, will need to be felt for full freedom to happen. Another familiar or common reason why the mind starts to wander, this one's probably pretty familiar to some of you, is that the mind gets a bit concentrated, it it gets more relaxed, and it moves into kind of a dreamlike space. You start sitting, you sit there, and it's like you're dreaming. You're not falling asleep or anything, but it's like all these dreamlike images are coming up. Often that's a manifestation of concentration combined with a little bit of low energy. So the mind starts to wander because the energy isn't quite in balance with the concentration. So in that kind of a space, you know, it's not, it's not so helpful necessarily to like, try to jump on things and, and say, oh, I really need to put in a lot more effort here. The mind is actually in a pretty subtle state in that space where there's some concentration but low energy. Just I found very small adjustments to bring up the energy. Just open the eyes. Or perhaps just straighten the spine a little bit. Or one time I noticed just thinking I should stand up was sufficient. It was like, oh, that center rushed through my body to even have the thought I should stand up. (sighs) Okay, I can just sit here now for a few more minutes. There's more energy in the system. So making small adjustments when the mind is, is kind of more settled like that. Another interesting way I've seen that um, this wandering can happen after times of clarity is that the, the clarity of mindfulness can lead us, when we're really, really clearly connecting with moment-to-moment experience, it can lead us to a subtler experience that the mindfulness isn't really or that we are not really so familiar with. And because we're not so familiar with it, we get lost. So an example of this, and one of the um, first times I noticed this, I was here on a three-month course, and it was several weeks into the three-month course, and the breath had gotten pretty settled, pretty continuous. I was pretty much able to stay with my breath for long periods of time. And then one, one day I sat down, and suddenly it's like, The mind was just wandering all over the place. It's like, wow, what's going on? I began to get curious about this wandering. So I started exploring. You know, it's like, okay, I'm paying attention to the breath. And what I noticed was that within the space of a very short time, a breath or two, the sensations of breath got so subtle that I could hardly feel them anymore. That's when the mind would wander. And so I kind of just, in seeing that process, I began to be able to learn how to connect with subtle breath. So just checking in, you know, what is actually happening, particularly if the mind starts to wander after a period of subtleness, not having an assumption that, wow, I must have lost my concentration. There's, there's several different reasons why the mind can start to wander in the settling itself. So exploring that wandering, exploring 
the, the why it's wandering, to me, that, that, was, that was very helpful. So as we get less reactive to the wandering mind and more um, sense of, oh, here's mindfulness coming back, there can be a trap here, and that's a sense of complacency that we, um, there's a fine line to walk between judging ourselves for the mind wandering and complacency of, oh, no problem, the mind's wandering. Oh, here's the mindfulness. Oh, yeah, mindfulness is back. And, and not really connecting with it. So we really need to be careful that we, in the letting go of the judgment, that we don't slip into complacency. And I found that interest, curiosity in this wandering mind itself was really a key to um, navigating this edge of complacency. So I've described a lot of things that can be noticed in exploring the wandering mind. And i just like to say that this isn't actually something that I'd suggest that you try to do. You know, oh, I need to do this exploration of the wandering mind. It's more along the lines of, I'm offering you information and hoping, actually my main hope here in this talk is that you get interested in this process of wandering mind and are interested in exploring for yourself what you notice around this process. I've described a lot of the things I've noticed. And in that description of my telling you that, you might begin to see some of those things. But it's not so much that you should try to see how does perception, you know, the perception lead to the thinking, lead to the proliferation. It's more just information that I'm offering here. And so having given this talk, I'm going to suggest that you forget this talk. (laughs) You don't have to try to remember anything that I've said. But I do hope there's a sense of interest or curiosity in exploring this pattern. Because it can lead us to some very deep understanding about our minds. So let's sit for a few moments. Thank you for your attention.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.